Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You know, there's a quote in this book that would be very appropriate. This is written by Spock himself. And it's a memoir of the challenges that he faced when he was one of the first Vulcan cadets in Starfleet. Exhilaration enhances the absorption of knowledge. In other words, live a little. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of the Positively Trek Book Club. I'm always so excited when we do these with a new book because it usually means we get to speak to an author. But I can't host these episodes alone. And with me, also equally excitingly, is Jesse Earle. Jesse, back again for another book club. Hell yeah, I'm glad to be there. You can definitely host these alone. I'm just the weird dork that's like, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> oh no. But no. You, I'm glad I'm glad to be here and, and help, but you you are definitely awesome enough to host on your own. Uh, not that I, I not that well, I want you to. Also <laughs> really like it if there's somebody there just shouting, I loved it. I loved it. I loved yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm here to be that person. I mean, I, I at this point at this point, Una. I feel bad because every time I go out drunk with my friends here in Seattle, we get drunk. We end up just talking about your books. <laughs> and, then I, and then I tweet and then I tweet at you that we're doing that. Well, the only complaint is that A, I'm not there. And B, you're not recording it, sending it to me. So get get on top of that, please. <laughs> I will. Next time I will. There's been many a conversation about, about your books had in a Seattle bars across the area. Oh. Oh, bless you. I, I really like that. <laughs> if, I, if I feel my neck burning, I'll know I'm being talked about. <laughs> Excellent. Well, as I'm sure everyone has figured out, that other voice you just heard is the author of the novel we'll be talking about, Una McCormick. Uh, her latest book, Star Trek Picard Second Self, is the subject of this show. So, uh, Una, welcome back to Positively Trek. We're so thrilled to have you here. My absolute pleasure. Always very, very happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Of course, absolutely. Before we get into the book, there's a question that I'm sure is on a lot of Star Trek fans' minds right now, especially, of course, fans of the novels. And that's kind of the fact that it's been a little quiet on the Star Trek literature front lately. And this novel kind of marks a uh, a break in that long drought of Star Trek novels. And we've heard a few things from some authors as to why that's been. Uh, and I was just wondering if you had any insights into kind of the state of Star Trek publishing right now and, and what we might expect uh, in the future. Um, so this book was due out in May, as I'm sure you know. Uh, and then I think that um, publishing, like everything else, has been badly hit by covid um, and this got pushed till September, which obviously was a disappointment for me because it was meant to come out alongside season two of Picard, which is uh, what it sort of bridges to. Um, I'm not sure what that was. The, this was happening with a lot of my books last year, um, um, books that I was doing both with Simon and Schuster and then Trek books with Titan. Um, all sorts of reasons. Uh, they could be down to shortages of paper. 
Uh, it could be down to distribution. You know, if you print abroad and then you can't kind of get the books distributed. Uh, I'm not sure what the specific reason was, but uh, the powers that be decided this one had to shift from May uh, to September. So I would I would just say to people, be patient. Um, you know, publishing has a lot of kind of, you know, it lands on your Kindle maybe, um, but there are there are there are kind of hard copy books and and that involves a big production process. A lot of that is maybe offshore or somewhere else and books need to get from A to B and covers need to get printed and all these things. And it's I think it's been a bit of a logistical nightmare for folks during COVID. So um, um, that's the only insight I have. Um, otherwise, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 writers are the last people they say anything to. <laughs> of Why can't they just replicate these things? Come on, just like <laughs> one book, Una McCormick, please. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind so long as you know the pennies come my way. I'm not quite out. I'll keep on churning them out. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, I just wanted that little bit of logistical stuff out of the way because I know people will be asking, but. Sure. Uh, uh, let's get to the meat of this, which is this wonderful novel, which, if I may say at the, at the top of the show, was well worth the wait, even though we had to wait a little longer for it. Uh, so Thank you. excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much. I think it's my best yet, actually. I'm, I'm really pleased oh, wow. with it. Yeah, I, I'm really, really proud of it. And it's just, it's been so frustrating having to wait so long. It really I has. Bet. I just wanted yeah. it out when Picard was on, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad people are reading it. In, in a weird way, it actually, I kind of like it that it's come out after season two because it, it's a nice like sort of bridging of that era for Raffi. And I think it's really nice to like shade that in after the fact. It's it's kind of a nice like good bridge that I, I actually kind of appreciate reading it now. I wish I didn't have to wait so long since season two. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I think yeah. you know how it works really well. I see well. what you mean, actually, because, yeah, I had to, I'd, uh, obviously, when you're doing these things, you get kind of advanced. Uh, I was I was kind of reading season two scripts in, uh, uh, in advance. So I was feeding in a lot of what I knew about season two. Um, so ideally, uh, some of those themes, I think if you go back to season two, you'll see that they're in the book quite quite consciously for lots of reasons mm -hmm. which we can go into when we when we set up the spoiler warning <laughs> for sure well that's a perfect time to mention yeah so the, the first part of this will kind of tread lightly and and not yeah. do huge spoilers and i'll give everyone a warning so that you know if you're sufficiently intrigued and want to go run off and read the book before you get totally spoiled about everything that happens and and trust me there's a lot in this I book say, there's no spoilers spoilers <laughs> You, you don't want to be spoiled for this one, I think. No, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a real treat to read it and and, and absorb the the things that happen as they happen and and not yeah. have that ruined. So yeah. Um, also, I have to say, best Una McCormick novel is a very, very, very high bar. And, God uh, bless you. I knew there was a reason I came on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> it's so I loved good. It. It's like. This is like uh, other people uh, treat themselves to a day in the spa. Yeah. <laughs> the writer's equivalent. So I'll go and talk to those people who are nice to me. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you'll find a lot of that here for sure. <laughs> I, I would definitely, I mean, I'll save it for like more thoughts because I'll give my review at the end. But like, I, I think this is definitely, if not your best, one of your best. I was really. Absolutely. My I put up my own review on my own channel today, and the title is literally Star Trek Picard Second Self is Beautiful, because I think it's an absolutely 
beautiful novel what you thank you, you. This one, so yeah thank you so much it's been a long time in the um we can get into this it's been a long time in the making well uh, let's talk briefly about the structure of the book and i'm kind of reminded of uh something that's said to cisco in the first episode of deep space nine it's not linear <laughs> the structure is really interesting we start in the quote-unquote present, so after yeah. Capelius, then uh, a section goes to um, after the Dominion War, kind of that era, and then a middle section that pops back to during the Bajoran occupation before we kind of make our way back up the timeline mm -hmm. to catch up with the present eventually again at the end. And I was kind of curious, did that structure of the story kind of always present itself from when you were writing it? Or was that kind of a decision made later in the game as the story was was kind of coming together? Uh, that was uh, completely conscious from the start, I think. Uh, I knew that there were three timelines and I thought there's only one way to do this, which is to which is to nest it. And then I had all the pleasure of going, hang on a minute. Do they know that bit yet? No. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, oh, so constantly when you're writing like that, I, you know, I, I probably wrote the three, I, I probably wrote the three stories straight and then kind of went, right, chop it there, hmm. stick those two in, chop it there, put that one in. But then I had to kind of make sure that I wasn't revealing stuff that you, the reader, would not get to, to the middle. I guess if there was a model for it, it's the, um, it's the novel Cloud Atlas. Um, mm, which yeah, yeah uh, I mean that works as a peak. Yeah, that's that's kind of the central Im image of that mountain. Uh, whereas this one, I think, more of a, a digging, maybe a valley. Yeah, I hadn't mm. thought of that. I was thinking Ooh. digging a hole. Actually, <laughs> but you're right. Gosh, I am clever. It's the it's the it's the matic. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that yeah, it's a valley. <laughs> Oh, I have thought perfect. of that. I love that. That's great. Yes, it is. It is a valley, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's books, so excellent. <laughs> books, books do this. They have their own designs. It's like uh, you know, it's like being in the the hands of a uh, of a prophet. So you you don't know mm. what they've got lined up for you. So books do the same thing. No, I, I do that with videos and things too, where it's just like I film something and then it's like, oh, that's very serendipitous. That matches what I was trying to do. And then people will be like, you're so smart, Jesse. And I'm like, yes. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Completely conscious. Absolutely on there. Yes, it's a valley. It's shaped like a valley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's perfect. I'm always curious. I, I love that insight into how it was written because like, I think when we read novels, we tend to think, well, you start writing at the beginning and you finish and until you write the end and with a novel structured like this like my brain had kind of a hard time figuring out like how would you have written this and that makes perfect sense that you would have kind of segregated the stories and then made it fit that valley model I, I love that usually what you you do is you kind of you're you're in three fits and starts I sense so like you write a third and then you kind of go okay right what do I need to do for the next bit and you kind of go back and then push up to two thirds and then you sort of do the last bit but I think in this case because I had those three also it feels a lot better when you're on a tight deadline to go yes I finished that bit so there you go but but the mid the middle section the sort of um heart of the valley uh is is stuff that I've had in my brain for I was thinking back now almost 20 years so this story's had a long kind of kind of genesis that that central story is one that I've been mulling over in various ways for a 
for a very long time. I don't want to say for spoilers, but when I read the book and, and figured out what, what that was going to be, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense for Una. This, that's what <laughs> 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 kind of a question on that though, too, with like structuring it that way, what you said, it was like the, the intent from the beginning. Um, what was the, the hope with like being able to structure it that way with the characters? Cause for me reading it, I thought it was just a really cool thing to just see, especially for Raffi specifically, but I think just culturally on the people that you meet there, it's like you meet people after these really horrific events, both mm. personally and culturally and, and societally. And then you go back and see it actually happen, but then see that that's also layered upon something else that came before and they go back even further. And I thought that was just so uh, intriguing a setup um, and I'm curious like what sort of made you think about that and, and decide to structure it that way uh, well partly because of the nature of the of the story that it is which we we won't get into yet <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the kind of science fiction story that it is uh, so so that kind of playing with with li with linearity and with time obviously presented itself but also because I think it's um I'm always really interested in in how and when we meet people in their lives. Yeah. So, you, you know, um, we've sort of met at this moment in our lives. If you'd met me 30 years ago, I'd be a completely different person. And yet I carry that story with me. Uh, I, you just might not have it from me immediately, but it's part of the texture of the way I speak or the way I interact. Or if you knew something about me from my past, it would explain how I'd reacted in a certain way. And I'm also really interested in the way that people re-narrate themselves and um, how they sort of uh, weave the stories of their own life and um, retell or I either get stuck in loops, yeah, that are, that are perhaps not good for them and how they break out of those cycles. And of course, always behind any story that I write in the Trek universe is this idea of the never ending sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. there are there are reasons for there are lots of reasons why I think there was only this way to tell this story. And I think it worked. I think it worked. It wouldn't have worked as a as a linear narrative. No, um, no, I don't think so at all. It no. just, just wouldn't have worked at all. But it's it's how we meet people. We come we come in late to people's lives. You know, we don't. We don't get a, a handy George Eliot style introduction. They just appear, you know, from nowhere with their stories behind them. And you have to reveal and unravel them. That was part of it, I think. And then all, obviously, all the other stuff. <laughs> well, I think a wonderful character to use to explore a lot of those ideas, of course, is Rafi, this wonderfully complicated character we got in Star Trek Picard. And she's kind of at the center of this story mm -hmm. at the beginning, kind of wondering what she's going to do with her life now that the events of Picard season one have ended in a lot of questions about her life and, and things that that have affected her life have kind of been realized and, and she's been vindicated a little bit. But of course, that hasn't made everything in her life perfectly wonderful again. She's still kind of where she was and the person she was. And she has paths before her that she can follow, going back to Starfleet Intelligence or this outlandish uh, suggestion from Picard that she go with him to the academy to teach and 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 this sort of thing. So um, what was it like kind of taking that character and playing with some of those themes? I, I feel yeah. like she's just got so much baggage is the wrong term because that's that 
has a negative comment connotation but she has so much to play with with her past there yeah I'd, I'd written her a little bit before in um the last best hope so i'd sort of seen her at the top of her game and we see her on screen sort of at the bottom of that valley don't we um i'm gonna i'm gonna use that metaphor all the way through now um, <laughs> Um, and then I think it was, I think when they came, they came and I see the book, they said, we want, we want a Rafi story and, and this is where it's happening. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting place to have someone that she, like you say, she has been vindicated, she's completely vindicated. All, all her mad ideas, you know, and her conspiracy theories turn out to be completely true. But as you say, um, people, she can't just go back to that life. You know, she's had a drug addiction. She's had a divorce. She's lost contact with her son. She has no contact with her grandchild. Uh, and then I started to think, well, you, you know, you, you, these people don't exist in isolation. She will have had a job. She will have had colleagues. Those colleagues were probably friends because of the type of work that she did. Um, there would have been long hours and spending time with each other and, and being part of a team and a club. And what were the sort of casualties of those relationships? So to try and come back to those, particularly when you've been proven right, yeah, which is the most unforgivable thing that anyone can do. Yeah. <laughs> We can't have you back, you know, out of pity. We have to have you back and kind of admit that, you know, we were unfair. No, people don't like doing that. So to, to have her in that position, I thought was really good. And there's a fragility to her as well, I think. Um, or certainly you should feel this at the start of the book, that picking up those pieces and starting over is really, really brave. You know, it's you're digging deep and you're you're sort of building a life out of, out of little fragments and things. It, it's like she's putting together a, a whole self again, a uh, second self indeed. Um, so, so that was how I that was how I was thinking. I've got a lot of time for Rafi. She's a great character. I think Picard Picard is awful to her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you. I actually that was some of my favorite parts of the book is just the opening chapters. I mean, the whole book is great, but even that part because I just think you captured her really well and some of the moments that I really enjoyed during that were when you really show how just how she's been treated has affected her so to the point where she goes and talks to Picard and he just seems to be you know having her there to just like talk to her and see where she's at and maybe try to convince her to join back up with Starfleet but then when he sort of comes forward with this mission she sort of has a bit of a a um like a response to that like oh are you did you just ask me here to to use me and, and it just touches upon how she's been objectified in a lot of ways and just seen as like a tool to be used by a lot of people um, and how she's sort of been dismissed and, and not seen as like a full person. And I thought that that was just you really, really captured that really strongly in those first few chapters. And he really leaves her in the lurch, uh, you know, when he when he quits Starfleet. She you know, it's uh, and, you, and you get this in the show, I think it, it you know, he, he get he goes back to this. Um, you know, his, his lovely sort of rural retreat and, and still has his reputation, but she's sort of torpedoed. So that's, that's it for Rafi, isn't it? Kind of, uh, it's her reputation and uh, uh, it costs her everything, really. I thought it was, in, I thought it would be interesting to play with a more um, complicated Picard, you know, someone who makes mistakes with people, which I think is there in the show. Um, you know, it's the Picard in particular, the TV show, uh, does, looks at that side of him, I think. Um and then I had a lot of innocent fun sort of playing with that relationship and a comparable relationship with another <laughs> mentor and mentee character uh, duo that appear later in the book. Um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a rich vein uh, to sort of explore. I think Rafi, yeah, finds herself used 
people don't people see her as a resource and they rarely see, see her as a person and that's very painful to her well one last little bit before we jump into the spoilers i think is i i just want to sing the praises of your use of elnor in this novel um <laughs> One of my biggest regrets from Picard season two is how that character was just kind of shelved for most of the season and, yeah. and we didn't get a lot of him. And uh, seeing him interact uh, with Raffi and kind of establishing a bit of that relationship that we see uh, the the end result of in Picard season two, as well as, and I'm I'm going to highly intimate this uh, spoiler free the idea of him interacting with a particular character from star trek <laughs> lore who shows up is just yeah. so tantalizing an yeah, idea yeah, yeah. that i i can imagine how giddy you were to write those scenes honestly the the cackling that went on was quite <laughs> quite inappropriate <laughs> yeah he's a, he's an interesting he doesn't get his due in season two i wonder if there were difficulties kind of getting him on on sex they were filming under covid restrictions weren't they um because he's not really there for a large chunk of it is he? he's kind of fridged at the start yeah and again i think he's a character who people see as a resource you know they he, he's he's very striking he's very imposing uh he's got this way of alienating you by telling you what he thinks but he's not he's not very old and he's probably quite vulnerable in many ways and he must feel that he doesn't fit in uh wherever he goes he doesn't fit in with the cow at Malat but he can't be a Romulan because he's been brought up by them. And then he's kind of stuck in the Federation, but he's a Romulan with a big staff who tells the truth all the time. <laughs> he's not going to win friends and influence people easily, I think, uh, unless people take the time to get to know him, I guess, get to know him as he is. Yeah. And seeing them, um, seeing him and Rafi kind of understand each other in, the, in that way. And of course, at the back of her mind, she's conscious of this, that she's doing this, and, but she's being careful about it, is that he's a replacement son, uh, that she's getting to, to have some kind of relationship, some kind of maternal relationship with a young man. Um, but she's quite careful about that. I think Rafi's quite sensible about that. It's also interesting having him in this novel again. No, no, not to cast aspersions of season one and two of Picard, but like his his character being someone who always tells the truth isn't really, I feel like, fully utilized in either of those seasons, just in a thematic way in my in my mind. Whereas in this book, it really, uh, again, without staying too getting too spoilery just yet, uh, I think it it works really well to just sort of mirror a lot of what this story is about and sort of like people sort of hiding things from themselves, hiding things from each other um, and him just being so vulnerable and honest in that way. And then also him having to kind of like temper himself um, and, and like having to like learn how to maneuver in these situations that he is kind of ill-equipped for based on how he was brought up. How am I, if I am living in this world, how am I going to do this and, and, and remain true to what I feel and believe? And can I, is it a thing that I'm able to do? I think he quits himself pretty well, to be honest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. He's uh, I think Rafi at one point says, you know, you're probably the only blameless one here. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. <laughs> The the sad part about doing these uh, spoiler free bits is like we we've so barely scratched the surface of what the story is. So if you're listening and you haven't read this, you you honestly you have no idea what this story is really about. So uh, we're going to get into spoilers now uh, right after this brief break, and uh, yeah, when we come back, we're going to talk all the spoilers about Picard's second self with Una McCormick 
You have been warned. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Trek would not be possible without the support of those of you who have gone to patreon.com slash positively trek and signed up to become a Patreon supporter of the show. Thank you all so very much for your donations. They truly do help bring this show to you each week. Thank you especially to our Constitution Class supporters, Joyce Marin, Justin Ozer, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earle, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and our associate producer for the month of October, Linda B. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get perks such as early access to episodes, ad-free versions of episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you all once again. And now, let's get back to the show. So we have this mission that Picard is kind of cajoling Raffi to to go on and, you know, to take Elnor. Both ideas that she's kind of pushing back against, but, you know, she does kind of go along with this and takes Elnor. Uh, and, and before that, we kind of talked a little bit about this, but her reconnection with her intelligence buddies at the at the Romulan desk at Starfleet Intelligence this scene was like, it felt so weirdly familiar and heartbreaking. Like, I feel like we've all kind of been in those situations where we've left and we've changed and we've come back to the familiar places and your friends, you know, maybe haven't, they've, they've changed too, but not in the same ways you have. And, and you're kind of now at, at at odds or at, at different points in your life. Were there like real life experiences that kind of informed that or, or it just felt very universal to me that like we've all had that kind of happen? Yeah, I so I think maybe when I left my first job, which is probably my my only job. <laughs> and we've been quite a tight knit a tight knit group partly because our, our boss was a, was not a very pleasant person. So there was quite a sort of, you know, blitz spirit. And, and I finally had enough and kind of went and left. And I really miss them. You know, they, they people you spend all, you know, it, it's not always the case when you work at a job that, uh, you know, they, they become your friends. But in this case, uh, I, there were some very, very good friends. Uh, and I, I think I caught up with them not long after I'd left, maybe a few weeks. It was just, it was strange, yeah, because they've changed because you left, yeah, partly. So, you're different and they're different, but they're still the same. But you've you've made that decision to leave and there is no going back. So, uh, so a little bit of that, um, much more poignant in Rafi's case because, you know, they've ghosted her eventually um, because she's constantly getting back in touch with conspiracy theories and, and eventually they've, they've stopped returning her calls. So it, I think it takes a lot of guts for her to go back in there. So uh, uh, Picard doesn't 
probably realise exactly what he's asking. It seemed that's always Picard. Well, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just you know, just go back. Yeah, just do that those... thing. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, Don't worry know. about the emotional. Weight oh, of that. It. Yeah. yeah, no, I never worry about the emotional weight of anything. You know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, why are you doing it? So yeah, she she does it. She goes back in, and you know, she kind of acquits herself, and she learns a few things that maybe she hadn't understood about. Maybe one of them was always jealous of her, of her her being the star, and she sort of realizes where the friends are and um, carries on with one of those friendships, doesn't she? So, so one friendship is kind of rekindled. But yeah, she goes back into that office, and the pictures haven't changed, and the people are still the same, but you know, a few more grey hairs and a lot more bitterness and um it's a hard it's a hard thing she does but Rafi does it Rafi's got guts yeah absolutely yeah i liked that that symbolism of the the pictures on the wall being the same and you know her saying like oh you should update that no we like it the way it is yeah yeah, yeah that's fine you might you imagine if you take it off there'd be that kind of little rim of gray yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah exactly and uh, <laughs> i think i'm thinking of an office i did some work for a, a government department once down in london i think i was thinking of some offices i went in there where i thought those paintings haven't moved in in years mm. yeah and nobody's looked at them yeah they're just mm. there they're just there so the wall isn't there and nobody is actually looking at them but if you took it away everyone would freak out yeah or if you just moved it sideways like i should have done that i should try that out <laughs> it's like her she just taps it a little bit yeah i said that out loud didn't i <laughs> Um, but yeah, if you just sort of tilted it or something like that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, those and the, and the people are like that too. Yeah. So somebody leaving is a big, a big disruption. And then to waltz back in. So yeah, this mission, uh, she's being sent basically to this uh, this world in Cardassian space that was a focal point of the Dominion War. It had been taken by the Romulans. Uh, there's this uh, clash between them that, you know, we'll get to, we visit that that era as well. But this is kind of opening a lot of old wounds for Rafi. There's a lot of indications that something horrible happened. We don't know what that is yet, but it's opening a lot of old wounds for her. And uh, she's reconnecting with this old Talshiar spy master uh, that she had this acquaintance with and, and this professional relationship, but also kind of maybe a friendship with it seems you know this, the lines are blurred there uh, I thought this character was really interesting and uh, I, I like that exploration of some of those relationships that she would have cultivated as uh, an intelligence operative back in the day yeah because these are people that they're, 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 they're not on your side but they are on your team if you see what I mean yeah they do, they're doing the same job as you but they're at the I think is that is that in this book that oh yeah they'd have a federation desk wouldn't they they'd have a federation affairs yeah so it's they, he's doing the same thing but spying on her yeah so he'll be having the same conversations he's another second self isn't he I guess um now, now I think of it <laughs> <laughs> it's <a> totally intentional <laughs> totally intentional oh what a brilliant book this is yeah <laughs> um yeah, so he's doing the same stuff, but of course his loyalty is somewhere else. But then there's the, the there's the kind of brotherhood of spooks, isn't there? There's the, there's the people who are who are, are more frontline than perhaps their bosses who are making the decisions. So he'll understand Rafi a little bit more because she's closer to where the action is happening. And maybe their bosses, the their Picards and their whichever Praetor is making the decisions up the chain, they don't have as much in common with, yeah. 
So, um, so he he's then he he they they have these moments of sort of strange, um, I'll say intimacy for want of a better want of a better word, where it they're like the one the only other one that they can confide in. Yeah, you know he I know he understands, even though given half the chance his colleagues are going to be killing me. Yeah, he he's the one who perhaps understands the most what this situation is like for me. So I was quite pleased with him. The audio book, he, the audio book, he has an English accent. So you, you know, he's, you know, he's the villain. Of course. <laughs> I, I particularly, I particularly love um, one scene. I believe it's with him. Um, if I'm hopefully I'm not remembering, I'm remembering correctly where we go to, this is skipping a little bit ahead, the Bajoran village that had, um, had a genocide happen there. And Rafi's sort of looking around and she she's kind of willfully ignorant of what happened there. And he sort of points out to her, it's like, how can you stand here and not actually see it? And that's because you're you're sort of being ignorant. And then she sort of realized like, oh yeah, the the charring on the uh the buildings, that was a fire that was intentionally lit. And it was it's it was just one of those like, oh, you just the relationship of him like sort of like taking the the scales from her eyes sort of thing was really um well articulated and I really like that sort of like constant poking of each other good I'm glad about that and I, I think um yeah I think you've always got a uh, I can't resist sort of always questioning Starfleet and 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 their motivations and their uh uh, I, I think does she get called a hypocrite twice in once one day? I think yeah. For first by Romulans, then by Cardassians. So uh, and you you can sort of imagine you know, Starfleet are always banging on about human and species rights, and you know, and they'll, they'll kind of blithely go off and do all kinds of things. So uh, I think um, she gets used a bit as a punch bag by a couple of frustrated people because I don't think Rafi is a hypocrite actually I think uh, she's she absolutely isn't um but yeah he, there are, there's a moment where he he kind of you know come on Rafi you're not being honest with yourself here you know what's what happened here I, I also love that he think he says like our standard operating procedure for like working with Starfleet is to assume you're hypocrites <laughs> like, <Yeah. that's> just, <laughs> like that you'll make you'll have and haw about stuff but then you'll you'll end up not doing it <laughs> yeah 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 you'll, or you'll, you'll You'll find a way to kind of fudge it. But yeah. I can't rely on that with you because you're not. It's really annoying. Yeah, you're going to do something stupid and heroic, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> yeah. And I can't plan for that because that might work, you know? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. As, as a bit of an aside, I, I recently had a conversation with some people about Star Trek board games and, and video games where they have the factions like Federation, Klingon, and Romulan. And, and they always like have you know romulan their special thing is treachery blah 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 blah. now i want to see like a board game that's made by the romulans like yeah. what would the federation be like i'm sure it wouldn't be you know hypocrite peacekeeping and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah hypocrite yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah it's always spouting shakespeare so i'm watching rings of power at the moment I i'm actually really loving it and and i i feel like it's a it's a it's a massive piece of anti-elvish propaganda it's like, <laughs> we've heard enough from those guys yeah those guys are clearly awful yeah now you're going to get the dwarves point of view and the men's point of view so um so i, I quite enjoy doing that with starfleet it's an interesting thing where i think we're at in fiction so this is getting wider but it's just like an interesting place i think we're at in fiction especially with large franchises that we've been uh in, like as a culture just inundated with a long time where it's like well 
we've sort of been presented with this like worldview of like, oh, this authority is great. But then once you start breaking it down and seeing it from different perspectives, when is like as we are in the real world about a lot of our big uh, authoritarian governments and and companies and things like that, uh, we start to question it a little bit more. And so I think that that's like you see that throughout Star Trek as like uh, especially early Picard and Discovery was very questioning of the Federation. But now in Lord of the Rings, Star Wars uh, was always kind of that. But even when you look at something like the Jedi, it's being very critical of that. Um, so I think it's just a place where we're at in fiction and also like our cultural view of institutions too. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. And the seeds are there with Star Trek. The seeds obviously are there in Deep Space Nine. I think um, things like Discovery and particularly Picard uh, push it a lot further, I think. Um, so uh, that's one reason why I think a Picard book that hooks up with DS9 um, themes and um, stories uh, was a good way to go. Absolutely. Well, with with that in mind, like I am very excited. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> let's just blow it wide open here. Of course, uh, Rafi is sent to apprehend a Cardassian war criminal. Who could I, it possibly who be? Who could it be? Very early on in the book, I'm like, could this be Garrick? Oh, it's Una McCormick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I was completely until until that moment where they where she's giving the briefing with Rios. I, I was like, oh, it's gonna be someone random, whatever. And then it's like it's like Garrick's like, oh, I think I literally tweeted at you, Una, where I'm like, of course, you just wanted to write a Garrick novel. That's all it was. <laughs> oh, it was literally it was literally that moment. That's really really funny. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah that's I what was, I literally tweeted at you. That's so funny. I I'm really interested to know when people kind of go, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm glad I got you that far, Jesse. <laughs> no, I should have realized it sooner, but I was sort of like, yeah, I know it's a Picard novel. It'll keep us because more, more mine was just the cynical thinking of like, oh, they won't let her play with Garrick. She's writing a Picard book. They won't, they won't let her play that toy box right now. Um, and they let you, which made me very pleased. But I, I sort of had that in mind of like maybe the publisher thought rather than the the artistic thought. So I can't tell you how pleased it made me. <laughs> oh, sure. <I> <laughs> Let's just do it, we said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I had that initial thought, but I think I was kind of like, it was a possibility, but it wasn't until, yeah, it was confirmed later. I was like, okay, excellent. I'm I'm on board. This is so good. <laughs> yeah, Garrick, I mean, I, I, I love the way you write this character and just so thrilled to see him in this book. And I think it's really interesting how you use him in this novel because th there's a lot of good that Garrick does and it's acknowledged, you know, he helps the Federation during the Dominion War and and he does a lot of things that, you know, put good in the in the in that column. But there's still a lot that's in the negative column that I think sometimes we as fans tend to say oh well you know just ignore that you know but that's what I love about this is you fully embrace that and you fully get into that and I think what we get here is a kind of true restitution for the character which is you know something we never really got in this series you know like I say we got him doing good but that doesn't necessarily cancel out the bad uh, one thing that like uh, uh, Steve Shives did a really good analysis on uh, Cardassians and like th things that he pointed out about like how can we redeem characters like Damar or something like that. I think his point that he made, which was really, really interesting, was like it's harder to redeem someone like Dukat or Damar, which we don't redeem Dukat, but it's harder to do those characters because we know specifically what they did. 
Whereas Garrick is a character who is alluded to that he did terrible things, but we don't specifically know. And, and so that allows us, the audience, to sort of like, as as uh, Dan, you said, we can be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Like, we don't have to deal with it because we don't have specifics. And in this novel, that that's what I really, really appreciated you struggling with is like, oh, no, we're going to see what Garrick did. And it's absolutely horrible. And 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 then trying to draw us out from there, I think, was a really just in the structure of the novel as a valley was, I think, really um it's a difficult subject matter to wrestle with, and I applaud you for, for doing it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's, Garrick beguiles us, doesn't he, you know, because he's so charming and he's so funny and uh, all of these things. And um, we do see him do some pretty bad things on screen. We see him torture Odo. Uh, we see him attempt genocide. Uh, we see him murder several people in cold blood. Um, and we know he we we know he's murdered a few people off screen, Romulan senators and their bodyguards. So that there are there are quite a few things that you, you kind of sit back and you go, you know, he, that's got to be the tip of the iceberg, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> this is when he's te- this is when he's tempered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- this yeah, is when yeah. he's got his career as a tailor and he's not an active member of the Obsidian <laughs> Order. So exactly. Like... What what were you what were you doing in the day job, Garrett? You know, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, because you know it's it's shocking what he does to Odo. It's 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 genuinely shocking when he tries to eradicate the founders, and we get to the end of his story, and this terrible thing happens to Cardassia, and we see he's almost broken at the end of the show. But it it, it really really mattered to me to kind of go, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this seriously, yeah, because. You've got to take that seriously. You try to eradicate a species. You torture someone who's effectively a friend. We we know there's casual murder that you do. Uh, you know, you kill that obsidian order guy and second skin and and that kind of thing. Lots of lots of quiet sides. We go. Oh, that's a moment of truth. So he um, there's there's one bit. I think he got, when he's down on Bajor. I think the the Rugal episode and he's talking to the 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 woman who runs the orphanage and she goes. Uh, well, I was in the resistance, of course. And he goes, oh, perhaps we did meet. And you go, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, you cold-blooded, you know. So within all the beguilement and the, and the charm and the, and he's very funny, I, I thought I've got to I've got to really take this seriously and follow where this goes uh, and, and just see what happens. And this is what happened. So um, um, and then you think, well, how do you um, what what is justice here or or, or how do you? How do you deal justly with that? And what I hope is that by the end of the book, people aren't quite sure. Yeah, they don't know whether this is justice or, or fairness, whether he has or hasn't got away with it. But uh, I, I hope it makes people, I hope it makes people think, <laughs> I guess. No, no I, I was literally, that was going to be one of my questions was like, I struggled with it because I was like, oh, is this is this sort of letting him off the hook because that, that was because honestly when I was reading it I was actually a little bit like bothered because I was like oh is this letting him off the hook is this saying this is okay and then I sort of sat back and got to the end of the novel and sort of realized like oh that was the point that you were wrestling with is like there you're not making a clear definitive statement it's more just this is very uh gray uh to to use that word uh and like it just it, there's no clear answers in something like this and I really thought that that was again a really deep and nuanced thought for a Star Trek Picard novel to to go for, and I, I really thank appreciate you. it. Yeah, thank you very much. I think it's yeah. You you look at 
uh, we instinctively, you know, we have a concept or an ideal of justice, like we have a concept or an ideal of utopia. And then actually, when it gets down to the nitty gritty of it, it's very, very hard to find a pure solution. And and, and I think the book is sort of asking that, or, or, or those were the questions. I, I, I don't want questions answered in a novel. I want, I want sort of questions. I want my mind open to new questions. And I hope that's what this does at the end. It should feel open and that you're not sure. You just made me think about like the difference in our society than also Picard and people's reaction and stuff. Because we are, especially in the United States where where I live, the idea of justice is very punitive. Like we want to punish people. Whereas the Federation's ideal is, is to be very restorative. Like we want to restore people. And, and it was an interesting sort of like seeing that uh, pushing like Discovery season four with Booker at the minor spoiler for season four of, of that show. But at the end of that show, like he gets a pun Booker does some bad things and he gets a punishment that allows him to sort of like, like pay his debt to society while also like helping hopefully grow as a person. And I saw a lot of people bucket that's like, he should have been punished more for what he did because that's our mindset as a society is wanting to punish. And I, and I, and I was like, no, we should always want to restore. And then I get to this book and it, and it complicates it in the sense that like, I think the angle that Garrick gets at the end is he gets to have that moment of being restorative. He gets to have that moment of like, he gets to try to work to, uh, to pay back in a, in a uniquely Star Trekian way, he gets to pay back his debt to society or work to try and make it a little bit better or fight back for that. But then you should sort of thinks like but does he deserve to be punished more does he deserve that and so it, it kind of like again it sits in that gray between the de desire to punish and desire to restore and and has he already been punished you know what happens when the implant breaks down or a near decade of exile amongst en enemy aliens or the near destruction of his species and his home world and his civilization are those the punishments you know all, all of these things i think is the work that he does after that to kind of rebuild? Is that a kind of uh, repayment? Um, so all of these I sort of wanted out there because I don't, I don't think there are easy answers to these things. And he's a uniquely complicated character to do. I mean, Ducat, you just string him up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, even me, empty death penalty, I hang him high, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Toss them into the fires of the power. Exactly. Let, let the prophets have their way. So, um, uh, but the prophets have got uh, other plans for Garrick uh, hilariously. So, um, but yeah, those were those are things I really wanted the book to sort of questions I wanted them wanted it to pose, but not necessarily to answer. Because I think people need to make their own decision about that. Yeah, and I love that we do get the multiple perspectives on that. You know, we we have the the Bajoran, um, I can't remember the name of the organization, but the the agent who their job is to go and assassinate or take into custody former Cardassian war criminals. Yeah, he's satisfied by this. Like he kind of sees the value of this. And someone like Laris, who is also very personally affected by the actions of Garrick, is ultimately not. She's She feels that he's gotten away with it kind of thing. So I I do like that we get to see those perspectives play out like that. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Bajoran Mossad, I was calling them. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 that was the shorthand in my head, too, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Bajoran Mossad. Uh, Comatas, I think they're called. Yes, so, uh, thank you. Oh, I was very pleased with that image. Of course they'd have these guys yeah, wouldn't they, yeah, they absolutely. Absolutely would, you know oh yes yeah, so uh stick him in yeah so uh, uh and he's been on the spot i think he's watched this unfold whereas laris i think who hasn't watched this all unfold uh can take a more kind of abstract view but both positions are right i think both both have got a 
she has a personal stake and he has a he has acquired a personal stake. I don't think there's a there's somebody directly that he knows. Um, but obviously he's Bajoran, he's been deeply harmed um, by these people. So there's that stake. And I and I try to make sure that everyone acknowledged that it was it was up to the people who had been harmed to to kind of have the say of what constituted justice or not. But then as you say, they they don't agree on that. Some do, some don't. I, I did appreciate that as well when Rafi says, you know, he's your prisoner. You you get to make the choice. You have to make the choice here. I, I thought that was that was an important moment and kind of shifted my mindset when I was reading it because I'm like, oh, the Starfleet officer, they're going to be in charge. Wait, no, no, of course that makes the most sense. So this is Bajoran business. It, it ends up as a conversation between Toes and um, uh, Apra, doesn't it? You know, the the Bajoran woman at the end. It's for the Bajorans to decide. Uh, and they decide. They make their decision uh, on the spot. Yeah. And I love how even Garrick is is scared of this choice too. Like he's he's nervous about it and doesn't like. It seems like an easy easy thing for him. It's like, oh, I get to get away, but that's not the case. And he, in, in a way, like his in, there's a certain penance you're talking about. Like, oh, he has to live among enemy aliens. He has to literally live the last parts of his life like wearing a Bajoran face and being a Bajoran. I think it's just uh, in, in, in like a poetic, uh, I think even he would say a poetic end to, to his life. <laughs> I, I think the prophets thought through this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll st- start with a bunch of kids as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, even, it's not even a quiet retirement, you know, it's sort of a <laughs> bunch of howling kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious your thoughts on this because I was trying to think of there's some interesting parallels between the end of Garrick's story and the end of Ducat's story, where they they both take on Bajoran faces, but for wildly different reasons, obviously. But I, I thought that was interesting that Garrick is wearing this face to kind of do penance for his for his life and, and the things he's done, and Ducat takes on that face to further his exploitation of the Bajorans and, and that sort of thing. I, I was just wondering if, is there anything, was that any of that on your mind while you wrote that? Uh, yes, it was. And it's one of those things where I can't remember where it, it was, uh, where I, it was a conscious, I, I tend to be quite intuitive in these sorts of choices. And then afterwards I go, oh, right. Yeah. I see why my hind brain made that choice. Yeah. Um, but I was conscious quite early on that it was a direct parallel, particularly as, as the prophets both intervene in, in their ultimate fate. But I, I think they are more forgiving of Garrick, who I, I don't think has blasphemed so <laughs> I mean, I mean you didn't you didn't literally become a uh, uh, like Jesus figure for the for the Pare. So. <laughs> yeah, I think he's I think he is he is more disrespectful and disbelieving until until he just can't avoid believing in them uh and and then he he's he's he, you know he sees that he's just been absolutely outmaneuvered yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by some considerably more powerful beings yeah uh, who turn out to have a sense of humor but yeah i think it was and it, it, i knew he i knew he would have this bajoran face that was that that was that was very early on and then i think not long after i went oh yeah of course it's because ducat has one obviously he's like the you know he and ducat have this sort of strange mirroring second self thing going on with each other yeah yeah 
so so that did obviously have to be there. The cat's version is always a bit more twisted. I have literally nothing good to say about the cat. <laughs> I just despise that character so much. A genuine thing. I, I really, really try always to find the decent bit in a character but i can't do it with the cat can't well i think like uh well i'm gonna have a compliment and then a question real quick before you but uh, just jumping off the ducat thing i think also it's partially because ducat never takes responsibility like garrick for all of his faults he is very keenly aware of what he what he's done even if he doesn't let other people see it or let people into it i think he's very keenly aware of the weight of it whether whether or not he lets himself emotionally feel it is a different question at times but he, he knows it and i think ducat just constantly is like well it's not my fault it's other people's fault and I think that that's where part of the our willingness to be see Gareth more complicated eyes is taking responsibility, which I think is a conversation as a culture we have today too. It's like people denying responsibility, saying I'm being canceled or I'm being this or that. It's denying accountability. And Garrick cites my fault, but try pinning it on me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like I, it's definitely my fault, but you won't be able to legally say so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so compliment and a question. Uh, compliment is I really just want to compliment you on the the I think the really beautiful sequence when they go into that final bit when they're all heading in towards the the what the center of the valley and you get to see the grave that we ultimately learn in a few moments later is Garrick's grave, and that I uh, just like the that moment sitting with that where everyone's sort of like like is this like this has the name that Garrick kind of made up a second ago. Uh, on it so like did he know this and then Garrick sort of being confused and like kind of struck by it and I think realizing slightly before everyone else does uh in that moment there whereas like this is this is my grave I thought was just it was it was very beautifully written the question that I have kind of jumps off of all of this is um you you worked so hard uh in a lot of the post nemesis books uh to like do a lot of work with Garrick to build a uh, Cardassian culture post the Dominion War and you bring some of that in here but also you it, because of the nature of the fact that we're in a new canon uh, a lot of things have changed and the like, stuff that's happened to Garrick completely changed. Like he got to be leader of Cardassia in your no other novels, whereas here he he got to be like a Federation ambassador, but he is certainly living a much different life. And I'm, I'm curious to your feelings as an author, because I, I really liked that you took on the challenge and did something new um, instead of redoing the things that you've already done. But I'm, I'm curious as the as the author, what that felt like to sort of think about this character and this setting in a new way than what you've already built. Yeah, this is a really, really interesting one because I, I think I've said before, um, I kind of had a final book in mind for 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 all that uh, Cardassia canon, um, uh, book canon. Um, and I, I obviously I didn't get to it just because the way things uh, shook out. But a lot of the, a lot, it, it it's changed substantially, but a, a, a quite a bit of what would have gone in there came over to this. Um, because it was, uh, and I think you can probably see that from, you know, if you go back to sort of Enigma Tales, you can see that, you know, that there's the, there's the question hanging over Garrick of, you know, what did you do during the occupation? Um, so that was always the really big question in my mind. That was the thing that needed to be resolved. That, that would have been resolved completely differently because there was loads of other stuff that had to be tied in, not least the presence of Julian Bashir on Cardassian Prime and, and the presence of Parmac and all this kind of stuff. And this, this is all solved in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I thought, okay, all right, I, I, I've got this chance here to do one part of that story. And, and, and probably it's the part that is, that is actually the most important, which is the, the question of the nature of his guilt 
and and our beguilement um, in the face of his egregious act. And that's the bit that I, I'm going to tell in this. And then it was just a case of going, OK, all right, then then I just let all that go and I go back uh, and, and just tell that story. It was, it was quite relaxing in a way. And, and as I say, I've sort of had this story about what happens at this temple in my mind as a kind of Gannon, Garrick headcanon from from before my first book, from from before Stitch in Time, even, you know. Um, so this is this has sort of been in my mind. And then to go back to that, and then it changed all over again because of course it had to work with this book. It was really, it was like going down back into the valley. And, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you had to make a second yeah. sale for it. Like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. The author was, you know, okay, gotta let go, gotta let go of the kind of uh, you know, uh the beta canon and just tell this story, tell Garrick's story in the Picard universe. And and I, I really love it. I I I I just think it's amazing to get to tell so many variations of these stories and the show does it you know we've seen loads of different spots and loads of different Kirks and to get to do a completely different Garrick uh, but one that that's that stood consistently and and kind of on its on his own terms with 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 what we knew in canon and um you know what we know from Picard to do a Picard Garrick yeah yeah Star Trek Picard Garrick and, and not a DS9 one or a, a beta kind of one just to kind of go right we'll just wipe it clean and see what would be the same and what would change uh, and this is what came out which is really lucky I was really disappointed I didn't get to wrap up that story and then I thought no let's let's turn this into an opportunity and tell the heart of that story but in this different context and uh, I think it yeah I'm really I'm really lucky that I, I you know I got to do it um, lots of stuff I didn't get to do oh you know his, his final you know gets his come up and uh the Kethy get their come up and this kind of thing it's all there there's loads of stuff um that I was going to wrap up but we didn't get to do it uh, but we got to do this instead and you know I can't complain about that one day one day I'll buy you a drink at a bar and I will <laughs> I will get that the your version of the story from totally uh, yeah Dakota. yeah 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 I've got um I've got I've got about 30,000 words of it I think I've kind of during, during lockdown, I just I just wrote it for my own amusement. So there's quite a lot of it. So oh wow, uh, yeah. shoot yeah. me an invite. I'll I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, we could just just couldn't find a way to get it done. I think once once Coda was underway, it was it was going to wrap up, and uh, 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 the the ideas I had wouldn't wouldn't have fitted with Coda. So you got Coda, and you got this. So uh, I think we did okay. Yeah, I think everyone can be happy. Yeah. Best of both worlds, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> I just want to call out a few notable moments for Garrick in this book. And, and this section is nothing more than me just saying, I, I freaking love your writing. And, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, the moment where uh, he's, this is the during the occupation period, and he's undercover as Mass Garrod, uh, this down and out, quote unquote, loser who's, who's you know, been in, in legal trouble and stuff the moment where he turns into garrick garrick when he walks into the office and this is one time where i i had read another page or two and i that's when my brain realized that you'd switched from garrod to garrick and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I had to flip back three pages and be like <laughs> where 
Oh, and the paragraph, it's like Mass Garrett walks into the office. The guy yells at him. He walks over to the computer, says the code. Garrick looks up and but yeah. and is like, oh, that is amazing. I love Thank that. You. <laughs> and it's a real Easter egg there because that's the code he uses. In yeah. Seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You got that. Good. <laughs> yeah. As soon as he said black, I was like, oh, black. that's the, yeah. <laughs> the code in second skin. Yeah. Yeah. My God, she <laughs> is that nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> That's but I knew that somebody reading it would get it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I had, and then he's seen him Garrett from then on until he stops being, uh, uh, on the audio book, she does it brilliantly. She sort of, um, uh, and, and that's partially, uh, uh, you know, an American accent softens the D's slightly. Uh, he's Garrett. Yeah. It, it's, it's closer, uh, to Garrett. It just sounds, uh, cause it, uh, you know, in my English voice, it's Garrett and Garrett, you know, you see, wouldn't, um, but she just blurs it beautifully. So it's like, she's, teasing you but playing fair it's uh it's really really good but i love that moment yeah and the guy's already to punch him and then he's like sir yes sir what can I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was so good <laughs> literally not change you know you, you could just shoot him here and nobody would be any the wiser but you absolutely won't because you don't know who's behind him yeah yeah or what rooms he's got bugged and they're right to be afraid i think speaking on the we mentioned the audiobook but since we did it we spoke off we spoke before we started recording but just to mention uh what is it jennifer lavoy i think is how you say her uh, name. she's uh january lavoy january lavoy excuse me uh she's fantastic just for listeners like if you have not listened to the audiobook version uh i highly recommend it because she does such a good job she does everyone perfectly but uh elnor in particular i was listening like she nails his his accent so well like it's it's perfect i was listening like did they get evan even goria in, in here like what? <laughs> it's so really good and uh, i think like i was saying uh, just before i mean she has to do about five or six different voices just for garrick yeah or uh, the different ages and the different kind of uh undercover roles that he's doing uh and she does them all perfectly including a scene where across the scene where he kind of talks to himself so uh <laughs> she she does that incredibly uh it's just really really moving that scene because of course he ends up talking to himself since <laughs> that feels that feels like a garrick way to go <laughs> it would be yeah 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 end up just uh, that's the only good conversation i've had here oh it was in myself <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an interesting point too because there's a lot of garrick in this novel and then by the time you're done the novel you realize there was more garrick in the novel than you'd thought than you mm -hmm. realized yeah yeah and <laughs> i i uh it's rare that i will read a novel a second time very shortly after i've just read it but i feel like i have to read this again from the beginning yeah. with like, that in like mind. the prophets i'm taking the piss out of you pretty much <laughs> what you gotta do is you buy the you buy the book version and then give uh give that money to the publisher and then the audio version there you go and get <laughs> two different experiences you know yeah. That's actually a brilliant idea. That might be how I have to experience it a it's, second it's, time. It's what I did. I, I literally I bought the audiobook and then sorry, I'm giving I'm just I just like I want to support your writing. So I bought the audiobook and I was like, well, I just need the book version now because I just need to own this one. So I have the book version as well. Nice. <laughs> well, audio audio book works for me as well. I'm, I, you know, oh, I, that yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's, That's yeah. fine. You know, but in, in England, if you borrow it from the library, I get money. So, uh, you oh. know, I, I, yeah, yeah, they they have this little pot of cash. It's called the public lending rights. And there's a, there's a pot of cash. And every time a book is borrowed from the library, 
you you get like a tiny little bit, but they cap it so that Stephen King doesn't get all the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would admit, I so like you kind of you're hitting up a level, and then you don't get any more if you're Stephen King. Yeah, uh, and and every year, and you don't get fast books, but every year, particularly if I've had a, a something like a Picard book or a Doctor Who book, I'll get like 150 quid or something. It's it's just just it kind of arrives and I go, oh, brilliant! That's that's covered that thing I shouldn't have bought. That's not <laughs> <laughs> People's Christmas presents, perfect. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. They're public lending rights. Any author um, who uh, publishes in, in the UK and, and in Ireland uh, should look into it because it's it's just great. And it always arrives in the nick of time. You go, oh, thank God that's arrived. You know, it's small, but it's it's just saved my life in, in some small but specific way. So, yeah, audiobooks, books. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I'll, I'll see something from it and, and even library borrowing as well uh, over in Britain. Well, between the two of us, we've we've purchased it every way I think we can. <laughs> so um, I've yeah. got the ebook version here. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, that's what we, I mean, even more do we like to see that. So <laughs> I feel like that's the real way to listen to read a Picard or any Star Trek novel is on the, the Kindle version because that's just like you're reading it from a pad. That's it the, feels yeah. like yeah, it. Like, yeah, I just, agree. it's Completely great. Agree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But for it really to be like a pad, the other books you should you're reading are like kind of piled up on different Kindles. Different, <laughs> yeah, different yeah. one for every book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite get there, Lance, did we? <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I I definitely don't want to end this without talking about the interaction between Elnor and Garrick and Garrick's <laughs> just complete giddiness at the realization that this kid will not tell a lie. Tell a lie. <laughs> He's like, what's that like? <laughs> yeah, well, it's the galaxy brain thing, isn't it? I what is what you is you little... live like that? Yeah. He's like, you're just like a little like so much information that you just gave so freely in that one little sentence. Exactly. He's yeah, he, yeah, he's the one that they all just tell the truth to. Why didn't I think of this one? It's just incredible. Yeah. And then Elnor, of course, kind of saves the day, doesn't he? He's just he's just there with his staff at the right moment. So um, I, I possibly could have had a bit more fun with that, but I, I thought it was one of those things that could rapidly become self-indulgence uh, and that, yeah, you, you could have had pages of those two just uh, just uh, going off on each other. But I, I think the sort of suggestion of it and Rafi kind of, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you go over no, here. No, absolutely not. Like when your parents go, I don't want you hanging out with XYZ. <laughs> yeah. Now I yeah. want a Garrick Elnor novel. Sadly, it doesn't won't ever fit given the timeline, but uh, I would love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like, like a Spock versus Q style just conversation oh man (laughs) there's got to be a short story in there somewhere i Mm -hmm. think but yeah it's like it's it's like the magnets that sort of repel (laughs) (laughs) well i even love the moment too when garrick uh basically gets toes to hit him and you know he's lying on the ground he's like eldor you're coming to the trial i want you there (laughs) (laughs) truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth exactly this is brilliant i can't believe i got this guy is just so perfect a witness yeah it's uh he's he's charmed by uh and that and that's another uh charm of garrick is it isn't it i think he's that he's even when he's jaded he still sort of takes a kind of there's a there's a sort of mischief and delight in in what's presented to him uh and and an eye for what how he can turn it into an opportunity as well and Elnor's a great opportunity <laughs> he's also beautiful which doesn't harm so uh yeah <laughs> yes, <that too. laughs> 
Speaking of beautiful, I loved Garrick's uh, references to Doctor Bashir. This this beautiful doctor that that I, that was wonderful. Just that made me a little misty eyed. <laughs> yeah, the the love of his life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, whether whether Julian finds a way to join him, that's uh, uh that's one I shall leave for the fan fiction writers. <laughs> Go jumps back in time. Yeah, <laughs> finds his own orb, mm-hmm. <laughs> orb of love, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do just one one other little thing that popped into my mind while I was reading this. When when they come across Garrick and they're talking about you know the things he's done and he's talking about the things he did to help the Federation, he even kind of obliquely refers to the Romulans getting into the war and and that kind of thing. And I wonder in this alternate reality where there is a trial that Garrick has put on on trial, does all of the uh the things that happened in in the pale moonlight come out at that trial? And is the Federation like if they had brought Garrick to trial, are they really just kind of signing their own death warrant with that? They, yeah, this is this they, they he's absolutely got his, you know, he's got his hand around the throat, really. This that they they don't want him. In, 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 particularly in this book, they don't want him getting anywhere near a microphone. You know, to, uh, it, it'll all come out. It, it'll be an absolute disaster. So uh, the best thing that could possibly happen, as far as the Federation are concerned, is that Garrick disappears completely. And uh, I guess the, the, for the, uh, the Cardassians are just clearer that he's an embarrassment. Yeah, it's a kind of relic from the past that they're trying to draw a line under and move on and show that they're changed. And yet you've got this guy still hanging around. The Bajorans want him because, you know, he's a, he's a murdering bastard um but the, it, the federation have a real problem here because he's got them by the short and curly hasn't he so uh this is i this is an ideal solution um as far as the federation concerned Poof, the problem just goes away um so yeah uh and 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 that's his you know even when he's got his hands bound he's he's got that stored in his in his back pocket i can't remember now whether it says in the book whether raffi knew i i suspect she doesn't whether picard knows i don't know and we did i did sort of toy of of sort of bringing that in as a as a plot strand and maybe maybe having laris involved in some way but we we i couldn't quite get it to work i think it was just a kind of plot complication too far and it was it was better just left us kind of in the background and making it a much more um personal beef that laris had with him um so um the details of which are sort of uh, i'm not entirely sure myself um because she hasn't told me um but it might have been on romulus um it might have been somewhere else another book yeah another book indeed yeah <laughs> no no more, no more garrett books <laughs> <laughs> no don't say that <laughs> oh no <laughs> no i'm done i've got michael clark said on uh, twitter he, he got it early and he said to me oh that must have been a really it must be quite emotional. I was like, yeah, 20 years of my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, I can't see what else I would tell now, but you never know. He's done that before. I, I feel like he's gone away and then he's jumped up on me. So <laughs> so who knows? One, one last question that I had too, because we focused a lot on Garrick and I know this will be a harder question to, to sort of jump off on. Just the question of how that we we talked about personal responsibility, but I also really liked how this novel in going back each time dealt with how the this place 
that this that this book mostly takes place on has had these repeated uh, genocides and attempted genocides. Not that I like that that's happened, but like how you you showcase how these things sort of build up and, and almost cause each other. Um, these sort of lasting resentments sort of build upon each other uh, and anger builds upon each other and, and how people wish to sort of look away from it. And that allows it to happen again. Uh, it's mirrored in Garrick's personal story, but it's, it's also shown culturally the repeated building upon traumas and the willingly willing denial of things. Um, and I, I thought that, that was a I was sort of like, I guess there's not much of a question other than a compliment, I guess. But I would love to hear you just talk about that sort of idea of this like cultural traumas and personal traumas just building upon each other yeah I think um I think the the you I I'm always very careful not to um draw directly um from historical examples I I but I suspect that the the histories that I have in mind would be perhaps Northern Ireland and in and in this case I think I have been reading about um the massacre in Srebrenica during the Bosnian war uh, so I think that was um, that was preying on my mind as well, which I, I think you've got um, you've got other United Nations or NATO peacekeepers there who who find themselves in a in a similar situation, and that and that obviously is a part of the world where there's you know this sort of repeated reprisal and reprisal after, after reprisal. So I I think there are places where there's um, people can't escape history. I think it's a, there's a line at the start of Ulysses. Is it the start of Ulysses? It's 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 what is it's one of the Joyce novels, it's either Ulysses or Portrait of the Artist. History is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awaken. And I think that gets into the book somewhere. But you know, this, this kind of cycle that I'm I'm just trying to trying to get out of and, and stop it repeating itself. And I think people do do act on that. And and that it can be tied to specific locations and specific grudges. And 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 then I think because partly this is partly this is a little bit of a ghost story. There's a lot of kind of English Civil War stuff. So, so a lot of really good ghost stories um, in English literature kind of centre around the English Civil War and the kind of scars of that and the and the traumas of that that kind of lead to haunting and repression and denial and all these things and un, unspoken traumas. So I guess these are all floating around. And as I say, I'm extremely careful to not sort of use specific historical examples, but it but it all feeds into a story that I want to tell and that's centered on this place, I think. So, um, but hopefully, it, it, I drew it drew its own history. But I, I suspect all of us, wherever we, you know, I happen to be, have Irish grandparents. I'm sure anybody, I'm, or I hope that, you know, wish they experience them. But they can open that book and go, "This is this is a, a history that I recognise, or that I can understand, or that I maybe doesn't form part of my personal history, but I can see that it could form the personal history of other people." So that that's sort of where the book came from. I, I definitely uh, had in mind, especially the um, the pain of the Starfleet officers who have been ordered to remain neutral while this could potentially happen right in front of them. Uh, General Romeo Dallaire of, of Canada was uh, leader of a UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda in 93 and 94. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, his book Shake Hands with the Devil uh, is, is all about just having to to be there while this genocide happened around him and being completely powerless to do anything about it and i i definitely was getting those <laughs> vibes from the from from this and, and that experience that's another good example yeah sort of uh, that's sort of simultaneous to them um, the bosnian war isn't it yeah 
you know, just, oh, be neutral. You can't be. How, how are you neutral in the face of something like this? Yeah, yeah. Horrible, horrible order. And Starfleet are so distant in this, you know, they can't get there. And then there's, you know, the sort of plot complications. And 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 I think that, uh, you know, at the at the kind of, you know, keel holding at the end, the Admirals kind of go, yeah, well, you know, we can't exactly, <laughs> we're not going to do anything to you, are we? Because, you know, it turned out, you know, if it had been a disaster, perhaps something else, you know, a different outcome. But everybody sort of, turns away from it which i'm sure would make the romulans the cardassians got typical starfleet you know yeah, bunch yeah. of hypocrites <laughs> yep. standard operating procedure <laughs> exactly that yeah well uh I feel like um, I, I want to take this novel and stand on the rooftops and just yell that it's the definitive Garrick novel, but I don't want to ruin it for, <laughs> for people either. So that's, that's my hands are tied there a little bit, but I, I just want to ask you, Una, is there anything um, that you wanted to let our listeners know that we haven't talked about with regards to this novel yet? Oh, I guess uh, you get a little appearance from Inalbrin Tain as well. So yes. if, if, that, if that isn't enough, <laughs> you get Inalbrin Tain being being, being kind of like the anti-Picard. So uh... I would say it mirrors, as you said, mirrors the relationship that uh, Picard has with Raffi. And, yeah, uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is which is part mentor and part, you know, he and she are part resource, but it, it's considerably less toxic in the case of uh, Picard and Raffi. Uh, yeah, but but if if that's not enough to make you read, the presence of an Auburn saying yeah. surely will be. <laughs> yeah, and you, you get to hear the amazing Paul Dooley in your head as you read. Right. So it's so I good. Know. <laughs> He's great. How many episodes is he in? Is it like four or something? He's in The Wire and then he's in that. He's in Dice Cast and, and the and... very end of Improbable Cause. That's right. Yeah. And then he's in the it's in the first part of the other one with where they're uh where they're in uh the Dominion internment camp, yeah. So it's it's either per yeah, he's in four episodes. Can you believe that? It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Star Trek's worst dad. Yeah. <laughs> Which is <laughs> saying, saying something. something yeah. I know, I know. It's kind of like the proud winner of yeah. that crown. Sure like Garrick's just like talks to Alexander and just like, look, you think you had a bad, <laughs> all right? <laughs> Worf's worse a great dad compared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even to Zial, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Um, I highly recommend this novel. I think everyone should read it. Uh, you know, Picard fans, DS9 fans, all the fans. It's it's so good. And Garrick is a character I've loved so much. And to see his life extended beyond what we see in the series, in your novels, and this one kind of being his swan song, uh, just really will always give this novel a special place in my heart. So thank you so much. And, and I appreciate the, the difficulty that you must've had in writing it too. I, I totally understand. Well, I don't totally understand, but I, I can, I can certainly appreciate uh, what you, what you had to go through to write it. So thank you so much for your never ending sacrifice. take it for the team yeah (laughs) tamir tamir dan's thoughts uh like you are i've said it before you are easily my favorite star trek author uh like and i say that compared to everyone who has written star trek not just in the books like all all writers of star trek and that's no dispersion on them there are many fantastic authors but i i love your writing i love your work and this is one of my favorites if not my favorite novel of yours so yeah i think you really destroyed it so thank you so much for this book and thank you so much for your work so Thank you. I, I really, it's just so, you know, you write a book and you're, you just by yourself with it. Yeah. 
and then you kind of and then it then it's publication date goes by myself with it for even longer and then it's finally out there and you think are oh, they going to hate it and then just if people just really get it it's it's so gratifying really really grateful so i i you just want to be read and understood really and you guys have read it and understood it i'm very very grateful so thank you well if people want to uh follow what you're what you're currently working on online is there anywhere that uh, they can do that they can find me on twitter uh i'm at una mccormack uh and i have a little newsletter as well where i, I sometimes sort of talk about what i'm working on or um uh, just what's uh, filling my mind with, with you know, slightly more consistency than you can get into a tweet. So, uh, so those are sort of the, the two main places where you can find me. Well, thank you so very much for joining us. We truly do appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, Jesse, where can people find you online? Uh, too many places because I do too many things. You can find me uh, at Jesse Gender on YouTube where I do video essay stuff. Uh, I have Jesse Gender After Dark where I do news reviews and reactions on TV shows and things like that. I just reviewed a certain novel that we've been talking about over there. <laughs> uh, so you can go check that out. Uh, I say terrible things. One out of five stars. It's, it's oh, it's, <laughs> I know. I that she's a real hack, isn't she? It's like three or four books a year. SJW oh, woke nonsense. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm there. I have a Patreon. I'm on Nebula and I'm on Twitter. You can find me in all those places. So yeah, that's me. I'm on Twitter at Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, uh, youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. You can, of course, find the podcast at Positively Trek. Join our Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook and that's about it. Email us positivelytrek at gmail.com, patreon.com slash positivelytrek, all the things. <laughs> uh, thank you once again, both of you, uh, for joining this episode of the Positively Trek Book Club. This is uh, just I, such a special episode because it was such a special book. I'm just going to be effusive with my <laughs> praise about this. So. <laughs> Thank you once again, and uh, to everyone else out there listening, thank you for listening, and until next time, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.